Our scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 1, and we're going to be reading verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Amen, dear saints. You may be seated. We're coming to a remarkable couple of verses very early in this marvelous first chapter of 2 Corinthians. But as always, before we do, let's pray together. Father, we come to you again. We just sang, Glory be to the Father. We opened our prayers. We closed the covenant prayer time with the words, Our Father. Father, thank you that you're the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Thank you that you have provided us your Son, Jesus, the Great One, the one mediator between God and men. Now fill us with your Spirit, lead and guide the preacher and the hearers, that we might be more conformed into the image of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Everybody needs and wants a father. There's an old book, Are You My Mother?, little bird looking around. Everybody you know is looking for a father. Even with some of my pastoral friends, they have sad stories of not having a good father. And I feel honored to be able to father them and help them and strengthen them. You know, fathers make a gigantic difference in the lives of their children. And it is the want of good, real fathers, real men in the church and in the world that explains an awful lot of the misery that the world is in today and always has been in various ages of the fall. But when the church ascends to where it ought to be in the proclamation of the gospel, men become men, become fathers. And it's a beautiful thing. You know, when this happens, when God does that, women's liberation, homosexuality, so-called women pastors, all of that will be passe. There'll be no business for it. No market. No money in it. Nobody will be interested in it. All the problems of the world are wrapped up in needing a father. And God, our Heavenly Father, is the perfect father. Now it must be hastened to be said right off the bat that the want of an outstanding father, and there aren't that many in the world, is not an excuse for anyone to sin or to despair or to think, woe is me, I can never have an excellent father. That's not true. You can have a perfect father in Jesus Christ's father, our father, in heaven. And in the church, you may also have fathers that tenderly lead you and shepherd you under Jesus Christ. It's no cause for despair. Now, those of us who have been blessed, like myself with a wonderful father, are rightly appreciative of that fact, and we properly thank God for it. But even 
those folks who in God's perfect sovereign prerogative and providence were not given an excellent father, you may still turn out to be outstanding fathers and mothers, especially in the context of the church. In fact, a lot of times, wonderful fathers, if you go back, didn't have a good father. I mean, just look at the kings of Judah in the Old Testament. Great father, horrible son. Another, the son, the next son is great, and the next one's horrible. You can be outstanding, exceptional fathers and mothers. But it must be said that there's something about a father. And when a father loves a child or his children, they know it and they treasure this gift. Now, God, our Father, is the perfect Father in every possible way. And therefore, let's make it our goal this Resurrection Day to grow in our love for our Heavenly Father through our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Looking together at 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. If you're new here, we're starting the outline right here. The title is Our Wonderful Father, the Doctrine... The church's heavenly father is the tenderest father imaginable. That is a word, tenderest, T-E-N-D-E-R-E-S-T. Dears, whatever you can conceive of that is kind, gentle, good, loving, sweet, gracious, benevolent, generous, affectionate, warm, doting, sympathetic, solicitous, cordial, affable, amiable, and any other charitable or sensitive quality. Just take it, multiply it by infinity, and you have some concept of your heavenly Father and how wonderful and great He truly is. Indeed, it is true that the church's heavenly Father is the tenderest Father imaginable. First, He loves his children with the sweetest affection. God the Father loves all the elect, regenerated church and is full of love for her. And therefore we are right in following Paul in this very text that we're going to study in describing God as the God of mercies, or the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. And sometimes we speak of God as a an ocean or a universe of love. But even those latter metaphors don't really work because there are limits to the ocean. There are limits to the created universe, but there are no limits to the love of your heavenly Father. And he has shown that to us in the giving of his dear Son. All of his love is expressed through the person and gospel doctrine of God the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you know that God never showed any love to anyone at any time under any circumstances independently of his love for and his giving of his eternally and only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who is now incarnated is man, is, is divine, is at the right hand of the Father. It would be the sacrifice of God's Son on the cross that would demonstrate God the Father's greatest love. So the doctrine of the Gospel is the teaching of God the Father's supreme love, and it's all centered on God the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 
The church's heavenly father is the tenderest father imaginable. He loves his children with the sweetest affection, and he consoles us with the deepest kindnesses possible. The most magnificent display of God the Father's kindness is in his forgiving us all our sins through the substitutionary and propitiatory atonement he wrought by his natural son Jesus' death on the cruel cross for us, the message of the gospel. That was God's greatest display of love. There could never be one more magnificent. A father who is God and who would have compassion on us poor, lost, blind, contorted, and wretched sinners is certainly a gracious, loving, merciful, wonderful father. Whatever your felt need is today, Ultimately, it's for a father. You need a father. Just start to recognize that. You're like the little bird looking around. You're looking for a father. A father may be found in Jesus Christ, in the message of the gospel, in the covenant of a faithful church. A father may be had. He's right here. Your greatest requirement hidden in the hidden recesses of your soul, is for a kind heavenly Father who has and will forgive all of your sins and the guilt and condemnation and judgment and wrath against them are all removed from you by this gracious, loving heavenly Father in the sacrifice of his righteous and pure, pristine Son. So if you are in Christ Jesus today as a member of his holy and beloved church, or you're on your way into a faithful, holy, and beloved church, please know that there's nothing that can stand in the way of your Heavenly Father's kindness, sweetness, love, and beneficence toward you, the objects of his love. Let's do the exegesis of these two remarkable verses. I actually think verse 3 is just one of the most incredible verses in all the Bible. But verse 4 is great too. And gape together at the gentle ways of our wonderful Father. You know, every good father is gentle. Yes, a, a father needs to be firm when and where he needs to be. But his basic composure and comportment is one of kindness and tenderness, gentleness and understanding. All fallen human fathers, myself included, fall far short of that ideal goal, that ideal standard. But God, our Father, does not. He not only set the standard, He keeps it perfectly, absolutely. Without doubt, it is true that God is not the covenantal Father, of all people, as opposed to the false doctrine of uh, false religionists. God is not the father of all people, not in a salvific covenantal sense. He is in a creational sense, because everything that exists came from him. But only the elect and redeemed church get to fully enjoy the gentle ways of our wonderful father. First, He is full of loving kindness toward us. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. What a magnificent verse that is. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Paul opens the main body of his second epistle to the church in Corinth with an all-consuming extolling of God the Father. Isn't that interesting? This Father is blessed. This Father is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this Father is the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. This is your Heavenly Father, if you are in Christ Jesus. And if you are covenanted in the faithful church, you may have the assurance that this is your Father. You may eat at His table. You may enjoy all of His kingdom and benefit and blessing. He's the Father of every regenerated member of Christ's body, His church. This Father knows our sins, our weaknesses, our struggles. This truth is inherent in the phrase, the Father of mercies. As the Father of mercies, He is kind and gentle with us as we stumble along and fail and falter and sin and do all kinds of foolish things as fallen sinners still bearing about the old nature as well as the true new nature which is gaining ascendancy in Christ Jesus. We fall far short of his holy perfections and yet he is the father of mercies, kind with us. God would not be the Father of mercies if we were not still sinners. Who needs mercy but sinners? Only sinners need mercy. Proud, arrogant, good people. You know, what's the doctrine of the world? Everybody's good. There's no sin. Those people don't need mercy. They're good. They can't be saved. Because Jesus didn't come to call good people. He didn't come to call people who were already okay in themselves. He came to call sinners to repentance and to himself. The Father of mercies knows we are still sinners in need of his merciful kindness. On top of that, the true church's heavenly Father is, quote, the God of all comfort. Who needs comfort but sinners? Good people don't need comfort. They're self-righteous. They're okay. They aren't sinners. The world's religion doesn't need comfort. Sinners need comfort. Self-righteous, proud, arrogant, foolish, good people don't need it because they think they're good. Righteous in themselves and in the world's pandering and stupid standards with which they accord themselves and then beat their chests with how righteous they are. How good they are. Look how socially just I am. I am righteous. No, you're not. Jesus came to call sinners. Not good people. Real sinners. God's redeemed church people need and get comfort. And it comes from the Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord, in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. The gentle ways of our wonderful Father. He is full of loving kindness toward us, and He wisely is wisely compassionate with us. Verse 4a. Who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. 
You know, affliction is a difficult thing. All the true saints experience it. Affliction is when you feel that cold, clammy, heartless presence of your mortal but defeated by Christ enemy Satan who shows up to condemn you, to make your life miserable if he can. And we all know that feeling. It saps our energy. Affliction. But before I was afflicted, I went astray, David said. There's goodness in affliction. God uses even affliction for our good. The old snake can't even get away with afflicting us. Jesus Christ has crushed his head. But the only antidote or cure for affliction is comfort, but not just any comfort. We must have the comfort that comes from God, our Heavenly Father, and in the blessed train and flow of His grace, the comfort that the church members receive from one another in Jesus. Now, this is especially where God is so wisely compassionate with us. By allowing us to participate in each other's affliction and comfort, God permeates the entire kingdom of Christ's church with the comfort that only he can give. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And everyone benefits from it. It's a sweet, connected, uniform pool of grace. Everyone partakes of it. Everyone is blessed by it. And all of it is in Christ. Notice, too, that the true church has this remarkable ability, according to this verse 4a, to, quote, be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Any affliction. Any affliction. The church is the, the true church is the only community on earth that can comfort those in any affliction. There is nothing too big for our Father, and in Him, there's nothing too big for us either, as we comfort each other in whatever affliction we are facing. We'll see a little bit more about that in the last part of verse 4 today. The gentle ways of our wonderful Father, He is full of loving kindness toward us, He is wisely compassionate with us. And finally, he perfectly dispenses his soothing grace among us. Verse 4b. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Do you know that no one can really, with credibility and real feeling, share anything that he or she hasn't already received from God. And so what we're being told here is as we have received comfort in our affliction, we're able to share that with others who are in affliction. The comfort we give is the comfort we already have taken from the hand of our gracious, loving, heavenly Father. Whenever we console someone or gently counsel someone, or show compassion for someone, or have mercy on someone, or forgive someone, or gentle and kind with someone, all we are doing is copying our Heavenly Father. We are imitating Him. And in the church, this flow 
comes down from heaven, tumbles down through the pulpit, through the Lord's Supper table, through the church, and creates a heaven on earth, a glorious community of grace. The effect of this flow of God, our Father's comfort to us, again, is imitation, which manifests itself in true, real sense, felt comfort given to others, even as these verses that we're reading now and the ones that will follow keep telling us. Paul keeps saying, comfort, affliction, comfort, affliction. We're in it together. We experience it. It's part of the life of the church. But the God of all comfort and the Father of mercies is with us, among us. Observe, too, that this divine human comfort is a present and continuing reality. Do you notice that in verse 4b? With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It's not just a one-time thing or a future thing. It's a continual thing. We are always being comforted by God. When we come back to church every Sunday, we get comforted by God. As the love and comfort of God, our Heavenly Father, courses through the lives of His beloved and redeemed churchmen, heaven on earth is truly experienced. And do you want to do evangelism? I'll tell you the best way to do it is to create that kind of environment. It's so magnetic, so wonderful, that even the world beholds it. John thirteen thirty five. By this all men will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. And that's what this is about. Love and comfort. As always, let's do a little more application this morning and wonder at how our Heavenly Father's comfort forms us, His church, into creation's beautiful and blessed community. There's you understand, I hope, that the world in which you live rightly longs for and zealously desires this real supernatural community. All the stuff going on in the world is just that expression. Give me a father, give me a community. And because they can't find it, or don't think they can find it in the church, they create their own perverse communities. But you can at least understand they're created in the image of God. It's actually appropriate. They want it. They need it. They desire it. They have to have it. But it can only be had in Jesus Christ and through faith in Him. As a communing member or covenant member of the Holy Church. That's where it is. The only place on earth that this blessed and wonderful communion and fellowship is ever experienced is in and among the saints of the well-taught, well-led, well-preached to, well-shepherded church of the Lord Jesus Christ, where there is a Father and there are fathers meeting the needs of the children of God. We should have compassion on the world. They want it. They need it. We did too. Let's invite them here. Let's let them see it. So all they need to do is catch a glimpse. In Jesus and his gospel doctrine, let us more perfectly understand how our Heavenly Father's comfort forms us, his church, 
into creation's beautiful and blessed community. Here is how. His affection infiltrates us and spreads among us. Now this is a good divine contagion. We all catch the heavenly virus of shared love, compassion, sympathy, and joy. But again, this only happens in the true, humble, and Christ-consumed church. One of the reasons that 2 Corinthians is going to be such a marvelous study, Lord willing, for us as we're in the early stages of it is because this spirit permeates this letter. No one can contain the spirit of God within oneself. The blessed spirit who conveys the Father's love in the person of the Son breaks through and shines through us his redeemed and yet broken jars of clay as per 2 Corinthians 4-7. We're broken jars of clay. We contain within ourselves the glory of God and the Holy Spirit as the church, and yet we're sinners. Broken jars of clay, and that light shines through us. This glory is expressed in the life of the one society and culture that can possibly experience it, the forgiven church of the blessed Lord Jesus Christ. How our Heavenly Father's comfort forms us, His church, into creation's beautiful and blessed community. His affection infiltrates us and spreads among us, filling us with unspeakable joy and delight in Jesus. How can anyone be happy, anything but happy, joyful, blessed, and hopeful, when the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort dwells among us, lives in us, and has given us every good and perfect gift in Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of all our sins. How can we be anything but that? If we simply understand the truth of that, the gospel, and apply that to ourselves. Now, will there be Judases in our midst, seeking with all their might to quell such heavenly delight and pleasure? Oh, absolutely. Oh, for sure. No question. That is always true in the fallen world, even among the true church. But will they succeed at destroying our union, our comfort, our joy, our delight, our pleasure? No. Why may the church be the one truly joyful community on earth? Because Jesus Christ died for our sins washed them entirely away, and took all our condemnation away from us. Even our own hearts can't condemn us. God's law can't condemn us. The world's condemnation means nothing. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 5.1 His bloody atonement achieved on the cross... And then to crown his and our glory, Christ rose triumphantly from the grave, securing forever his elect church's full, free, legal, forensic, and imputed righteousness and justification in the person of Jesus Christ, imputed to us his active and passive righteousness, keeping the law active, dying for us who did not keep it, and applying his righteousness to us. What are we to do? How hard is it? What's required to have God as our Father? Believe this gospel of good news for sinners, not for righteous people, self-righteous, but for sinners. Believe this gospel for sinners. Beloved, our wonderful Father is just that wonderful. 
This day, let us bless the Holy Trinity for our wonderful Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are just that, a wonderful Father. Has given us every good and perfect gift in Christ. Thank you that you have not left us to our own devices. You brought us into your family. Thank you that you love us. We bless you and praise you for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.